Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. And here's what you see. When you you look at scripture, you see God's sovereign hand. And God's sovereign hand is still at work today. And we celebrate all that God's doing. But here's the question I want to ask all of us. Here's the question. Have you ever broken a promise? Be honest. If you've ever broken your word for any reason, anywhere, hand up. If your hand's not up, you're lying now. You've ever, like, you've done something like, listen, you RSVP'd for a party, and then the day comes, and you're like, anybody like me, I'm an extrovert in my planning, and I'm an introvert on the day of. Anybody? You're like, I'm in. Let's do that. And then you get home from work. You're like, I just want to... I just love sweatpants too much to leave and go. You've ever started a sport with your kids and things got complicated and and you stopped. We've all broken our words. There's a level that when you speak, it's designed to be non-negotiable. And because it's complicated in our culture, that's why we created contracts. So you sign contracts when you buy your house, right? I'm signing onto a mortgage. I never felt more small and scared than my first mortgage signing. How many times? What am I signing? I don't even know. And then you, you, you rent an apartment, you have to sign a contract. When you get a cell phone, you sign contracts. Every time you download a new operating system for your phone, you have to accept the user agreements and a contract. Does anybody actually read those things? Curious. Didn't think so. In fact, I want you just to get a picture. I want you to see how long individual contracts are from four companies. You all have these giant terms of service things. Here's the four companies. Netflix, Facebook, Zoom, Microsoft. You have one of those somewhere. And here's the reality. Here's how long those contracts actually are. You've got just to read the contract for Netflix, 11 minutes. Facebook, 17. Zoom, 30 the Microsoft contract would take you an hour to read it. In fact, if you were an average person was to read every word of everything they signed in a year, how long do you think it would take you? Any guesses? Tell your neighbor. Tell your neighbor how long you think it would take you. Every year, it would take you 76 days. You would spend 76 of your 365 just reading your contracts. See, even as kids, we have contracts, right? My daughter and I, we have The pinky promise. This is the most solemn contract you can have before you're 20, I think, right? We do a little pinky promise with a little boop at the end of it. And that's how I know she's serious. She's giving me her word. You grow up in life and contracts and promises, in great part, our world works because of contracts. See, no used car lot would let you drive off the lot without signing a contract. I remember talking to my grandfather back in the day, and he told me how important a handshake used to be. Back in the day, you would shake a man's hand, look him in the eyes and say, I want that. I will pay for that. And he goes, you got it. You'd buy cars and property on handshakes. But nowadays, we had to invent something called lawyers. And they get paid a lot of money to write these long, detailed contracts. So I'm protected. Right? You write contracts to protect yourself. And here's my point. When you get used to a world that waters down their word, you begin to assume That is who God is as well. And how do you trust a God who won't keep his word? In fact, that's the question we're asking. Will God do what he says he will do? That's a big question, isn't it? Will God do what he says he will do? 
in a world where you can pay a lawyer that's good enough to get you out of the contracts you signed? Will God get out of the things he promises? Will he do what he says he will do? And we're going to be sitting inside of Genesis 15 today. We're going to be looking at the story of Abraham. And listen, the entire Bible hinges on our ability to understand what was happening in Genesis 15. The entirety of scripture, the gospel hinges on this little chapter back in Genesis. And until you get this, you're not going to understand the rest of scripture. And I'm just going to be candid. God used this week in my research in Genesis 15 to radically transform the way I read scripture, the way I pray, the way I see God. I've walked with God for decades of my life. This week has been one of those weeks where God just flipped my world upside down in a beautiful way. And if there's a week for you to lean in, to engage your hearts and your mind's attention, take notes. This is the week. So here's where we're going to start. We're going to start with the Jesus Storybook Bible. As you know, we're doing family devotions every week. And most weeks, I teach from the Jesus Storybook Bible. This week, I'm going to teach you into the story that you're going to read as a family. And here is the first page that you'll read as a family. And this is a story of God and Abraham. See, years had passed. Things didn't get any better. People were still just as cruel and mean to one another. They still got sick and died. God's world was, God's world was still full of tears. It was never meant to be like this. But God hmm, was getting ready to do something about it. He was going to make all the wrong things right, and he was going to do it through a family. See, God is reaching down. And he's saying, I'm picking somebody to begin to make the wrong things right again. And in this story, you'll read as a family, you'll read that God promises Abraham a son, Isaac, and says, you will have a son. The problem is he's old, like he's older than PK. He's in his eighties now. And God's going, I don't have, he's going, I don't have a kid, God. How am I supposed to have a kid in my eighties? It doesn't play out like that. We're going to see what God does in this story, but let me catch us up from the last four weeks. Started at the garden, sin entered the world, the results of sin in a family, Cain killed Abel, murder. And last week we talked about the Tower of Babel, and God confused the languages. And what happened once he confused the languages is people began to be divided. They split up according to their language groupings. And so they started forming tribes and eventually kingdoms and eventually these whole cities, and they, they fractured and split. And if the results of sin in a family is murder, the results of sin in the world is war. And in Genesis 14, we see the first mentions of kingdoms fighting against each other. They're all divided, and now they got to figure out, how do we live in this world that we're all divided? We can't really communicate easily with each other. How do we live so we're not at war with each other all the time? They created peace treaties, contracts, covenants, if you will. They created a way that, listen, we can come and we can agree with each other. I won't kill you if you won't kill me. I won't attack you if you won't attack me. And they created covenants. Today, we would meet with a lawyer and you get a bunch of papers and you sign on the dotted line and go, all right, we're good. Back then, that didn't exist. And so they created this massive covenant ceremony. You don't just say, hey, I won't fight you. We good, high five and walk away. It had to be meaningful. It had to have some gravitas to it. There had to be some, some things on the line, and they created covenantal ceremonies where they would enter into legal agreements with each other. And you see, as you read Genesis 15, it starts to become really clear. But let me, let me just get this off the top. I need to be clear with this. I'm going to be using terms, and I need you to know what they mean. 
So here's the reality. The word covenant, which you're going to hear a lot today, covenant, testament, and contract all mean the same thing. Maybe you never knew this. The Old Testament is actually the Old Covenant, the Old Contract, if you will. And the New Testament is the new contract with Jesus. Today, we're going to sit inside of the story where the Old Contract is written. This story is fascinating, and here's where it picks up. Like we said, God looked down and picked a man. Abraham, you're my dude. And he begins to make promises to Abraham. He says, listen, Abraham, I'm going to make your family into a great nation through your son Isaac, which you don't have yet. God told Abraham, I'm going to make your name, Abraham, great. God says, I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. Then in Genesis 15, God said that, Abraham, I'm going to give your family the land that you're in, which eventually became the promised land for the Israelites, if you're sort of seeing the map of Scripture. And in Genesis 15, verse 8, here's what Abraham says. His name is first Abram. It's not changed yet. So here's what Abram says. Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And that question is benign in today's culture. But if you lived back then, you would know what Abraham is asking. It's very obvious. You see, you don't make promises the size of the promises God just made without a covenant ceremony. You don't just go, hey, I'm going to do all this stuff. And Abraham's like, cool. Back then, you had to do something with gravity to it. So you understood the size of what God was promising. And in Genesis 15, God says, listen, we are going to sign the covenant contract. And what you're about to see is a covenant ceremony. And I can almost promise you, you're going to have no idea what's going on. So I want you to read this story, and then we're going to unpack it. So here's where it picks up. Genesis 15, verse 9. Here's what God says. We're going to sign the covenant contract. So the Lord said to him, Abram, bring me a heifer. That's not a put down. That's a cow. Bring me a, a cow, a goat, and a ram each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, cut them in half, and arranged the halves opposite each other. Imagine that shopping list. I need a cow, I need a goat, need some birds, need a stuffed goat and a nine iron. Like, what do I need? I got, it's just a random list. God, what are you doing? This makes no sense. And then it, it continues in verse 12. Now they're in the middle of the ceremony. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. He's mid-contract and he falls asleep. What's going on? It continues. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces of the animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. What? in the world did we just read? How many times have you read scripture and went, I'm just going to have to trust God's doing something because I don't get it. Anybody? If you've ever read scripture, like, I don't get it. This is one of the most confusing passages in scripture until you understand the covenant. Like those verses are not the ones that you would pick as your life verse. And God cut the cow wide open. And that's not your life verse. It might be by the end of the day. See, what's happening here is God is having a blood covenant ceremony with Abraham. I got to give you a big caution off the top. I have to take us to school before I can take us to church today. I think God wants to take us to church, but we got to start by taking us to school. And I need you to stick to the details of what we're going to lay out because there is a beautiful moment at the end where you go, 
Oh my goodness, I never saw that. And I think God wants to flip your world upside down inside this story. In fact, this story is so important. In my research this week, diving in, I went down the rabbit hole of research this week, and I stumbled upon Dr. Jim Garlow. And he's a friend of a friend of a friend sort of down the line from me, and I stumbled upon his research. He's decades into Genesis 15 research. I had like six days to get here. He's been in here for decades. And I found some of his teachings and his writings, and I'm in here, and I'm in the weeds of this. And through like calling in favors, I actually got a phone call with Dr. Jim Garlow this week. I got to sit on the phone with him and go, walk me through this. Let me, let me push into this. Let me ask questions here. And he gave me full permission to bring his decades of research and wisdom to you. And I think God is going to absolutely flip your world today. Holy Spirit, would you flip our hearts? Help us see differently. Genesis 15. Let me take you to school first. See, back in those days, in the ancient times when the Bible was written, a blood ceremony, a blood covenant ceremony would have been known. It's how you existed back then. In the same way, if I told you today, hey, we're going to go sign a contract on this. I don't have to explain that. You know what that means? Same way. When they would read Genesis 15, they go, oh, this is a blood covenant ceremony. So let's, let's just pretend. Kevin, you had fun with me earlier, so let me have fun with you. If Pastor Kevin and I were going to sign a blood covenant ceremony, here's how it would play out, all right? Here are the steps, and I need you to stay with me because there's beauty on the other side of this. There are 10 steps in a blood covenant ceremony. And the first thing that Pastor Kevin and I would do, here's the first thing we would do. We would exchange our outer garments. After we agreed on the terms, here's the covenant we're making. Here's the contract we're making between each other. The first thing we would do is I would take off my jacket and give it to him. And he would look like he's wearing his dad's jacket. I would take his jacket. He'd give it to me. And I'd be a big guy and a little. Anyway, so I'd, I'd put his on. And the purpose of that moment was that we would begin to confuse our identities. So that when I went back to my people from a distance, they'd see me. They'd see Kevin's jacket on and go, oh, that's Kevin coming this way. Then I get closer. They go, oh, no, that's Jason. So we're confusing our identities. We're, we're becoming one. And the second step would be we would exchange our belts. I would take my belt off. He would take his off. We would put each other's belts on. And the symbol of this was we were exchanging strengths, assets, and resources. Like what is, what is Kevin's is now mine. What is mine is now Kevin's. If he wants to come borrow the lawnmower, he didn't have to knock on the door anymore. It's his. He just takes it. We're exchanging our strengths and our assets. And the third step, we would exchange weapons. He would leave with my sword. I would leave with his. And the, the, the illustration, the, the thing that was happening is that we were exchanging enemies. Whoever is Kevin's enemy is now my enemy. Whoever is my enemy is now Kevin's enemy. And, and I would know from this point forward, if someone's going to attack Kevin, they have to go through me first. If someone's going to attack me, they got to go through Kevin first. We share each other's fights. Then the fourth step is the sacrificial animal is cut. That's what we just read in Genesis 15. See, in any blood covenant ceremony, blood has to be shed. Something has to die. In the ceremony, we would literally cut open the cow. I know this is graphic. Sorry, Peter. You'd cut open the cow and you'd lay the halves on the ground. You'd lay a half over here and a half over here with the blood side up. 
and you would lay those cow, that cow out or that animal out in the blood covenant ceremony. Then the sixth step is that a covenant mark would be made on the body. See, in Hebrew culture, the hand extended all the way down the wrist. So most times what we do is, Pastor Kevin and I, we'd be in the moment. I would, I would cut my wrist slightly. He would cut his slightly. We would intermingle blood. We are now in that deep of a partnership, covenant contract. We would exchange blood. And then while before that would heal, I would put dirt and mud into that cut on my wrist so that when it healed, it would leave a covenant mark. I would literally carry the mark around wherever I go of covenant. See, the, in primitive cultures, they still actually do these type of rituals. See, some people believe we can't prove it, but we can surmise that that's, this is where the wave came from. Because while I'm a ways away, I can wave to you and you can see I'm in covenant with somebody. When I wave, you go, oh, don't, don't mess with that guy. He's got someone that's got his back. See, they would have a covenant mark placed on their body. It wasn't always on the wrist, but most times it was. Then the seventh step is we would pronounce blessings and curses over each other. See, what, what you would do inside of these moments, you would pronounce blessings and curses. See, one of the steps is the walk of death. And I would literally walk around the dead animal and I would make a figure eight and walk literally through the valley of death between the animals. And we would pronounce blessings and curses over each other. Be blessed. Kevin would walk through and I'd say, Kevin, be blessed as long as you keep this contract. As long as you keep your word, will you be blessed? Would your livestock be blessed? Would your family be blessed? And then he'd walk through again. And Kevin, if you break this contract, would your family be cursed? Would your livestock be cursed? Would you be like the animal dead on the ground? See, this covenant ceremony had weight to it. If I break this covenant, well, may I be like the dead animal lying on the ground. And the eighth step, we would have a covenant meal together. And this is a little bit weird, but it's true. Uh, I would feed him the first bite of the meal, and he would feed me the first bite of the meal. This is, again, a symbol of our further oneness. I'm putting you ahead of myself. In fact, this is where the wedding sort of tradition came of shoving cake in the bride's mouth and the groom's mouth. It's, it's a covenant ceremony. Then the ninth step is we would exchange names. So we would leave sharing each other's names. So my name, it might be like my name is Javen. It's weird. Almost Jaden. Anyway, Javen and his name might be Kaysen, and we would leave carrying each other's name moving forward. So every time someone said my name, they said my covenant partner's name. And every time someone said his name, they, they were saying part of his covenant partner's name. You see, in Genesis 17, Abram's name was changed from Abram to Abraham. Where did the A-H, the ah, come from? He was in a covenant ceremony with God Almighty, and God gave him part of his name, Yahweh. Abraham. So every time someone said Abraham's name, they were saying God's name. And from that point forward, God was called the God of Abraham. Why did they do that? That wasn't just like a cool thing they'd said in scripture. God literally took on his covenant partner's name. The exchanging of names. The 10th step is so good. We're going to get to it at the end. 
See, in Genesis 17, the covenant ceremony is playing out. His name was changed. And then in Genesis 17, Abraham was circumcised. Every guy just winced for two seconds. Abraham was circumcised. Listen, let me go to the side. In our culture that is oversexed, it steals the beauty of the covenant. See, this was the covenant mark on the body for Abraham. See, when you read scripture, every time you read the word circumcision in the Old Testament, it's talking about covenant. You can't understand the Old Testament until you understand the covenant. God said, put a mark on your body, Abraham, with your reproductive organ. Why? Catch this. Because in those days, the biggest blessing you could get was a child. And the very place where God put the ability for life to be created in humans, he said, I want to mark there. So that every time you have a child, you recognize every blessing is from me. I'm your covenant partner. Everything I have is now yours. Everything you have is now mine. And that son, the Isaac you're going to have, that son is from me. That's covenant. You've read the story of David and Goliath a hundred times. David went out to fight this giant Goliath. And what does he say? It's so weird unless you get covenant. He said, you uncircumcised child. Like, what are you doing? This guy's not in covenant with God. Why would he recognize, listen, you uncircumcised Philistine. He understood the covenant. Why would David go fight this giant as a kid? Because he knew the guy he was in partnership was the God of the universe. And this guy was not in covenant with God. See, David understood covenant. Listen, the cross. When Jesus had nails, it would probably pierce through his wrist. They wouldn't have held See, the nail scars on Jesus' hands are a mark of the covenant. The covenant is through all of Scripture. And you go, why, why didn't the Bible spell out all this covenant stuff? Because they understood it back then. If I wrote a book and I mentioned someone made a cell phone call, I wouldn't explain how cell phones go to the satellites and back down. Why? Because you get how that works. The Bible didn't have to spell this out because the Bible was written for us, just not to us. And back then, they would have understood. When they read Genesis 15, this would have made so much sense to them. But then you get into the New Testament. Hebrews 7 and 8 says there's a better covenant. And then in Hebrews 10, it tells us why. It says that the, that the old covenant, the covenant with Abraham, was like a shadow. Like if you look, you probably can't see the stage. I can look down. This is how Dr. Jim Garlow explains it. It's beautiful. If I look down, I've never seen a hand before. I can tell a lot by my shadow. I got five fingers, it's attached to something else, it can move. I can tell a lot. But the new covenant put flesh, took what we saw as a shadow in the Old Testament and put flesh on it in the New Testament. Jesus literally stepping down into earth, putting on human flesh and becoming the new contract. This is how the gospel plays out. Listen, this is where the New Testament begins to come alive for us. And I now want to take us to church. You now understand the old covenant. That's how it worked. They would have played out those steps. And usually I give you all kinds of illustrations and you go, oh, that makes sense. See, today I'm going to give you information that's so insightful. I think God is going to open your eyes. To see scripture differently through the covenant. You see, when Jesus and I enter into a covenant, 
What does that look like? See, in Ephesians 4, it says, Paul tells us, take off your old self and put on your new self in Christ. What does that sound like? Changing of the outer garments. God says, listen, when you step into salvation through me, when you enter into a covenant of salvation through Jesus, you're taking off your old self, putting on your new self. And when God looks at you, he sees Christ's righteousness. And when God looked at Jesus on the cross, he saw you and my sinfulness. Then you read in scripture in 2 Corinthians 12, when I'm weak, I am strong. That makes no sense unless you understand covenant. Why? We change belts. God gives us his strength. You get Christ's strength as salvation. You exchange your strength for his strength. In Ephesians 6, it says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might put on the full armor of God. Ephesians 6 is covenant language because that's where we exchange weapons. God gives me his weapons to fight with. See, this is a spiritual battle and we exchange enemies. What is our greatest enemy before Jesus? Death. When you die, it's over. Who is God's enemy? Satan. What happened at the cross? We switched enemies. Jesus defeated sin and death at the cross. And Satan became our enemy this side of eternity. We exchanged enemies. This is beautiful. Why does the Bible not explain it? Because they would have understood this. Then in Isaiah 53, it calls Jesus the spotless lamb. What does that mean? That makes no sense unless you get covenant. Jesus was the sacrificial animal that was killed in our covenant ceremony. He was the animal that was killed in this picture. And then the walk of death in Luke 17, Jesus says, if you want to gain your life, you have to lose your life. The walk of death is saying, listen, Jason cannot exist. I have to die in order to accept Jesus Christ. Who I used to be has to die. In Romans, in Romans 2, Paul says, listen, your heart must be circumcised. In the old covenant, it was an external mark that you took. In the new covenant, Christ circumcises your heart. He cuts off the old parts, the sinful parts. And here's where it gets unbelievable. The seventh step. The pronouncement of blessings and curses. In the old covenant, we'd walk through the dead animal parts. I'd say, blessed as long as you keep your part, cursed if you don't. Why are there no curses pronounced over me at salvation? See, if I'm going to step into a covenant, a promise, a contract with God Almighty, how come there's no curses pronounced over me? Galatians 3 tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus became the curse, and therefore there is no curse over you. See, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Back to Genesis 15. Abraham asked, God, how am I going to know? How am I going to know that you're going to deliver us this land? And Abraham and God get ready for the ceremony, and then Abraham falls asleep. Imagine going to your wedding and you're right there. My wife's next to me and the guy's like, all right, we're going to do this thing. And I just go like that would not go well. The honeymoon is not going to be fun at that point. He falls asleep in the middle of this thing. Why? Because God knew that if Abraham would have taken the walk of death, 
the first time he didn't hold up his end of the contract, God would have to end him. Abraham didn't have the ability to make the walk and keep walking the rest of his life. So what did God do instead? A little pot with smoke. When God showed up in the Old Testament, it was usually smoke or cloud. See, God stepped down and he walked through and he did the covenantal walk. And then the torch with fire represents the second person of the Trinity, Jesus himself. Listen, the gospels at play back in Genesis 15, Jesus took the walk that Abraham could never take himself. God didn't make Abraham take the walk because he knew you can't do this. If you do this, I have to end you. So God put Abraham to sleep and God said, I'll take both sides of the contract. That's a beautiful picture. Imagine buying a car and the car place going, listen, I'm going to sign for you and for me. If you don't make the payments, I got the car for you. What? That's what God was doing in this moment. Jesus paid the price for Abraham's side of the contract. This would have been unfathomable. When you would have read this story in ancient times, they'd have read that and went, wait, 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 wait. that's not how it's supposed to go. Like you guys are supposed to be in a mutually assured destruction situation. That if you break your word, I'm coming after you. And if I break my word, you're coming after me. And yet God said, I'm taking both sides. See, when you walked in, you were handed a communion cup. If you're at a campus, maybe it was under your seat, maybe it was handed to you. I want you to get it out. If you're at 12 Stone Home, maybe you need to pause this and get your communion elements ready. When you look at the communion elements, I want you to see the covenant. See, what's the eighth step of the covenant? The covenant meal. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 22. And he, Jesus, took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. See, when we receive communion, this is the covenant meal. This is us breaking bread and saying, oh, Jesus, what you did for us. That's why Paul says in Corinthians, listen, don't take communion flippantly because this is a covenant act. The seriousness of what you do in a covenant, that's the seriousness by which we take communion. There's weight to this. That's why we set a bar for communion. Like if you're around today and you're hanging out and you've not said yes to Jesus, you've not signed on the covenant, if you will, don't take communion. Paul warns about it because you're, you're making a covenant action without having a covenant. That's why we set a bar for this, because this is a sacred thing. And in a minute, when we, when we take communion, we're going to remember. Every time you see communion, I want you to see covenant. The promise, the contract that God signed with Jesus. And we're going to come back to that. And the ninth step is the exchanging of names. Jesus was called many things, but one of the names he took on was the Son of Man. He took on our name. And we were called Christians Christ's name. See, why can we pray in Jesus' name? 
Like, I don't have any authority to pray in someone else's name. I don't pray in Jason's name. I don't pray in Kevin's name. I pray in Jesus' name. Why? Because he gave us the authority of his name. When you pray, you can pray with the authority of Jesus because we are in covenant together. This is not just a flippant thing that God's like, yeah, 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 I'll send Jesus. He was building a covenant with us, a contract with us, and we can pray in his name. The last step to the covenant is absolutely beautiful. It's the exchange of the oldest male son. See, if Kevin and I were in covenant together, the last step of this process would be for me to take Luke's hand and walk to him, for him to take Josh's hand and walk to me. And we would exchange our sons and say, you are now going to be living in his house. He is going to raise you. Our families are forever intermingled in this covenant. See, next week, we're going to teach what God did with Abraham's son, Isaac. It's going to be beautiful. But for this week, what is Easter and Christmas? It's the last step of the covenant. Jesus leaving his home in heaven and coming to earth so that someday we could leave our home on earth and live in heaven. It's the trading, the exchange of firstborn sons, and God knew what he was promising in Genesis 15. Some 2,000 years later, his son Jesus would die so that we could be made right with God again. And salvation is not just a prayer we whisper under our breath and like everything is good now. It's a covenant promise between the God of the universe and you. See, the question we started with is, will God do what he says he will do? That answer was given to us in the covenant. He will. That answer was given to us through the life of Abraham. God gave Abraham the son. God made him into a great nation. God gave the Israelites the promised land. That answer was given to us through Jesus. God will keep his word even if it costs him his son. Galatians 3.14 tells us, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham comes upon the Gentiles that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The same blessing, the same contract God gave Abraham now comes to all of us. That's who we are, the Gentiles. The good news of Abraham's covenant is that it doesn't have an end date. And the same promises he made there, he makes here. And God loudly answered the question, will God do what he says he will do? The only question left to be answered is, will you join the covenant? Listen, maybe you're sitting here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're trying to figure this out. And that was a lot. You're going cutting animals and walking to death. And what is all this? If you don't understand any of it, I want you to see the heart of God. He is so intentional on his march back to, listen, God did not come to get you. He came to get you back. The covenant promises us, listen, I'm not just going to give you empty words. I'm going to write this in the blood of my son. And when I give you my word, I'll do whatever it takes to keep my end of the bargain, even when you don't. 
See, maybe you grew up around legalism and religiosity and your experience of God was I have to keep his rules or else he banishes me and I've got to go figure this thing out again. I've got to get myself cleaned up and fixed up. The story of Abraham says, listen, God knows you can't keep up your end of the bargain. So he pushed you aside and he took both ends of the contract. And what he did on the cross as he took this contract from a God is with me to God can be in me. And I can take on God's outer garments of righteousness. I can get his resources to fight sin. I can get, he can fight battles for me. All this language in the New Testament goes back to the covenant language. And maybe as we receive communion, just here in a couple minutes, for many of us, we're going to take communion and it's just going to be gratitude. Thank you, God. For you, maybe you would just bow your head. You say, God, I don't completely understand all this, but I want in on whatever that covenant is. Jesus, I believe you died and rose again for me. You might just whisper under your breath, here's the good news. Here's what it says in, in uh, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's him keeping his end of the contract and making a way for him to keep your end of the contract. See, maybe you're a follower of Jesus <clears throat> and you've walked with God for a while, but you've never read the contract. Just like all those operating system user agreements, you just scroll to the bottom and click accept, right? And maybe you've never read the contract. See, what I think a contract does is it gives you confidence. When I sign an employment contract, I have confidence that my paycheck's coming. And my employer has confidence I'm showing to work. That's what a contract does. See, maybe there's places where you lack confidence in how you pray. As you go, dude, what's the God of the universe care about? My little prayer's going up. He signed a contract in blood with you. He gave you access to him. Pray boldly. See, maybe you lack a confidence in your faith and your faith is shrunken down. You're like, I just want to get through another day. And God's going, I'm giving you access to me. I didn't just give you a book with words in it. I signed a contract with you. Your faith should be bold. Maybe you've struggled with sin for a long time and you go, I don't know how to beat this temptation. You can't beat it on your own. That's why we exchanged weapons. He fights on your behalf. He gives you his strength to fight sin. Second thing a contract does in this case is it brings correction. Maybe the Holy Spirit's whispering, you're living beneath the covenant I made with you. Back in those days, a covenant had weight. And just because God agreed to both sides of the contract doesn't mean there's not weight for us. As followers of Jesus, we have to live up to the covenant he made for us. God calls us to be holy as he is holy, not in your own strength, but also not staying in sin. Where are places that maybe God would whisper just quiet correction? My prayer this week was that as we sit in this moment, that the Holy Spirit would speak individually across all the campuses. And I asked the guys, let me close service down for this week, please. 
So I'm going to take it all the way to the close. The band's going to lead us here collectively for our whole church, 12th and home, online campuses. And I want to prepare our heart for communion because the thought that God would make a place at his table for you and me is unfathomable. See, the covenant just wasn't just a legal agreement that made sure Abraham wasn't killed. God invited Abraham into his family. Salvation is not just a ticket to heaven. God's inviting you into his kingdom and his family, and he made a place. So I want you to prepare your hearts for communion. I'm going to give you instructions in a second. Cam, would you just sing this chorus over us? Holy Spirit, would you speak? Would you call us up? Help us see what you've done, how intentional he was for us. Sing this over us, prepare your hearts, and I'll lead us in a second. And all grace undeserved and freedom unending, I am your child forever. You love as you find, and then you invite me into your table. not a follower of Jesus yet, hold on to this. I'll talk to you at the end, but don't receive communion as a covenant meal. If you're followers of Jesus, we're going to give you five, six minutes. We're going to sing. We're going to worship together. Maybe you turn around, make your seat an altar. There's places where God's going, I want to call you up to the covenant I made. Maybe there's places where you are overwhelmed with gratitude for what God did. You turn around, you kneel at your seat, or you stand up, and you just, you just are overwhelmed. You just want to say, thank you, God. You were so intentional and faithful some four or 5,000 years ago. This little passage in Genesis, cut a cow open and make this covenant with Abraham. You were signing on to kill your son so that we could be made right with you. <sighs> thank you, God. So you got space, and when the time's right for you, Take the top off and you can take the bread. And here's how Jesus said it. He took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said to them, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you take the bread, you're, I, I, this is what I do. Under my breath, I say, thank you, God, that your body was broken. Thank you for going through the beating, the trauma, and the pain for me. And you take the juice and you open it and you say, and likewise, this is Jesus, the cup after they have eaten is saying that this cup is poured out for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. And I drink this and I say, God, as this, as this juice goes into my body and strengthens my body, God, and my body uses it like you created it for nourishment. Oh God, I agree again. I sign on to your covenant. I am in God. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. 
Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one. 